Hello and welcome back everyone. This is The Future of Photography. My name is Chris Marquardt and we have, well, almost a full team this time. Imar is here. Hi, Imar. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm doing good. And Jeremiah, good. Uh, Hi, well, well, I what am is it? here. Good, good morning for you. No, it's just, just noon, right? Uh, no, it's morning. Still morning. It's 10.07 a.m. Yeah, time wow. zones are weird. Morning. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, uh, that's good. Let's see. We um, I got some some great feedback about our last episode from Monica, my better half. She loved it. So mm. everyone, go back to episode one hundred four. And what was that one? Um, <laughs> one one hundred four. Well, we we record multiples of those. It was the images in the news episode. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, newsies. Yeah, the yeah. newsies. Okay, but today we are going in a different direction. Imar, you brought us a topic that uh, just just talk us through. Okay, Chris. Um, hi, hi, Jeremiah as well. Um, so some of my favorite art uh, would have to be described as land or earth art. That was always the thing I was most interested in. And I love the work of Andy Goldsworthy. What, what I don't is know can you, you give us a quick, quick rundown on what that is? Land art so land art is, is sort of art that's created in the environment. Um, now, many of those things can be, you know, long term structures. But this particular favorite artist of mine is called Andy Goldsworthy. And a lot of what he does would be very ephemeral. He works with, um, you know, things that decay. And um, it's as much about the passage of time and the effects on the work as it is about the work itself. So. I was wondering, like his work really couldn't exist without photography, because if nobody, it's like if a tree falls Sound in the woods and nobody is there to see it, you know. Okay, so so, so, um, so his 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 art is is physical art. It's not photography, um, but he he does sculptures and these kind of things. Well, yes, I can, so um, yeah, like Spiral Jetty. Have you exactly, ever seen that, yeah, yeah, Chris? yeah. Where, where there's there's a, a basically a spiral of rocks and stones uh, in a pond that that uh, basically over time deconstruct. So ah, I've, I've seen that. I've I've just I didn't yeah, know the, the term most, for it. It's his most okay. famous. It's his most. That's famous probably word. or Christo. If you've ever heard of Christo, who used to wrap sure. the buildings and yes, of that would be kind of along the same lines. But you know, obviously those things are big and huge. But a lot of what I think Andy Goldsworthy does is can be so small. He does it in maybe remote places where nobody might ever see it if if it wasn't captured with photography. Like photography didn't exist. Um, you know, who would know about that type of work? Um, Imar, so, have, 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 have you ever yeah. seen this artist? Since you, you, this is your specialty here. There's an mm-hmm. artist who works in balancing stones. I, I can't mm-hmm. track him down, but but you come across his work where he, and they're very, very small, you know, maybe two or three feet at the most, and he'll mm-hmm. take natural, you know, stones, rocks, and, mm-hmm. and create a sculpture where they seem to defy gravity. And Andy Goldsworthy again, has done that as part of his previous work, so maybe it's him you're actually thinking of. I don't no, know. no, there's someone else no. I'm thinking about. But, but there's, yeah. um, I discovered earlier today that there's actually a festival of stone balancing that happens oh. in Dunbar, which is in Scotland, I believe. 
Um, yeah, so there's a there's an entire festival dedicated to that very art, but um, that's off the point. Um, I was just it, it made me believe. I, I thought then, you know, what does this mean for the future of photography? Because <laughs> I always I always seem to go backwards in my head when I'm thinking of things. But um, so. Andy Goldsworthy's product is as much the book and the documentary evidence that he's done the work as it is. So where could you take that into the future? I mean, could, I, I love I love what he does, but I, I would love to be present in that piece. Could you construct something like that in a kind of a VR immersive scenario? Could you get the same feeling? Would you ever get the same feeling from it that, that you would from the actual real thing? That, and that- Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead, Chris. I mean that this this would have been my first uh, idea taking this into some virtual reality uh, environment, mm. um, but it would of course still not be the same. I mean we're we're talking limits in technology at this point. So also just, we're talking about feeling. There's yep. something I've seen. Um, I've seen a couple of Andy Goldsworthy um, in situ, and you know there mm-hmm. there's. Uh, stuff that exists on the art island in Japan or in Newfoundland here in, or up in Canada. And um, there is uh, an experience of being in a remote place and seeing yes. art out of the context that a, a, of a museum, but just as it exists, as in man was here. Um, mm. th- there was a, a, a film several years ago um Oh God, I'm blanking on the name of it, but it was in 3D and it was when, oh, what's the director went to the caves? He did the bear. Oh, anyway, it will come back to me. But, you know, you, you see art made by people 30, 40,000 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, handprints on a wall or, or, mm. you know, buff, you know, even, even Buffalo you know, painted on a wall from 40,000 years ago when Cro-Magnons and Neanderthals still roam together on the earth. And you think, wow, that that is as brilliant an experience of art that I've ever had, you know, in situ. And there is something mm. different uh, about seeing something located, framed in a museum, you know, with people around that in many ways is out of context. So the context of when and how it's created um, has nothing to do with audience, but just as an expression of I was here. And and not even that. I mean, it, I think it goes even beyond um, into things like sensory inputs and so on. If you if you put a, put this in a virtual environment, then all you have is the visual, uh, be it 3D or not, but um, you won't have the smells, the sounds, the the experience of getting there. The yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, the isolation. So, so, so yeah. The isolation. Uh, it's a very, very different thing. So photography. I mean, we all know this. Photography can only uh, bring you a slice out of reality, anyway. Yeah, but it's perfect. <laughs> moments captured you know um he makes these beautiful books of images and um you know there there may be an essay they're mostly images um of the various projects that he would be working on actually jeremiah in kansas city he's working on this big project at the moment um that he's gone back to a few times that is like a walking wall 
that um, will mm. go across the landscape and walk its way into the museum, which is oh, a, that's beautiful. a lovely yeah. combination, and, isn't and, it? And, yeah. and you brought up Christo, of course. You know, I don't know mm. if anybody's experienced Christo in the real world, but um, no. maybe eight or nine years ago, it could be more, uh, he, he wrapped Central Park. It was it's just, <laughs> it's just beautiful to experience mm. it in, you know, real time in the environment where kind of the, the, the hand of the human uh, is effectively clashing with nature, mm. even though in Central Park that, that was a nature that was constructed as much as a work of art as any, right? True. Um, but 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 um, at least you know when you're in New York, there is the illusion that you're in nature, which you effectively are, even though it's designed. You know, not unlike say Katsur Imperial Villa. You know, from 1400, you see these incredible gardens where they'll plant mm. a tree and prune it for 300 years, and then oh, starting to look good outside the window now. You know, generational. <laughs> But that juxtaposition of the hand of man, either subtle or or aggressive, uh, brings uh, both the kind of appreciation of the natural world as well as the um, kind of uh, relationship between the living human within that world and creates a, a vibration, a, um, a feeling and experience that is uh, very um, pure in terms of the art experience, I think. And mm -mm. I think if we, if we add photography into that, I mean, it is totally legitimate to do photography of this and, uh, and, and present it. But then that photography in itself is creating something new. That is its yeah. own thing. So sure. it is... It is um, Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's not just documentation, right? No. Yeah, and it's it's true to say then that a really good photograph of a work like that right. does make you feel like you're there in, you know, some aspects, doesn't I mean, it? Some, or at least as close as you can at be. Least, some photographers want to want to do exactly that, convey the feeling that they had when they were there. Mm -hmm. And you have uh, various means to do that. Um, but uh, yeah, I think the 100% the, the reproduction of something in photography, um, it's going to be its own thing. It's, it's, it has to be its mm. own thing. Mm. I mean, I think we're, we're really talking about the, the nature of image making as uh, either a, a work of documentation or a work of expression, uh, or both, um, and how that relates to whether it's an appropriated image in nature or in the city. Um, anything that is documented, for example, we walk on a, a corner, the light slashes a building, um, someone walks halfway out of the shadow, we see it, we capture it. And our experience in, in, in real time, when we first saw that moment, that I mean, is that the experience of a work of art? Because we obviously look at that moment, you know, light on stone, light on buildings, um, just some kind of mood that captures us in real time. We feel, ah, that is magnificent. That is, it's evoking something. Mm. And then we capture it. That also becomes a, 
a separate experience, but one that's drawn from, you know, the world in which we live in. So um, the, the, the photography of a uh, expressive work, whether it's kind of man-made or nature-made, um, really has to do with the appreciation um, and relationship that the photographer has with the world, whether it's capturing a, you know, something accidental, at least in the way we perceive it, or something very formally constructed. But our responsibility as image makers is, is really to underscore that appreciation, I think. Silence. <laughs> I'm, I'm in awe. That's why. <laughs> Very well put. Check, please. <laughs> that's a, that's a you classic know, mic I, drop. I also was thinking <laughs> yeah. that, you know, these, these type of experiences, like um, VR experiences, uh, and I think I probably said this before, but, you know, the whole um, obvious climate crisis that we're in at the moment that is, you know, as nature sort of evaporates before our eyes, is this all we're going to be left with? You know, a VR experience of it. Who you know, you know. Yeah, and and I don't think, and even even a VR experience does have its have that does have its place in this kind of a context. Yeah, surely, it, I mean, if you think about people who don't have the opportunity, maybe to travel somewhere really remote to see some thing they've always wanted to see then a VR experience being the next best thing is amazing isn't it really it's an excellent thing oh I've, so. I've been to so many places in a headset um, so <laughs> it it is it, it is its own thing and of course if you experience it you will understand that this is a limited experience of the real thing it's not the real thing mm -hmm. um, being there is different but it is it's it is maybe not a full substitute but it is at least something yes well I've had mm. the opportunity of, of moving in a virtual set in VR with the Oculus in a completely constructed environment mm -hmm. that is neorealistic. And I can't even express the feeling I have in that. It's as it feels as real as anything. A because it's it's a construct, so there is no wind, there is no smell, you know, that doesn't exist it wasn't in the original um construct of the of the polygons and yet it's its own thing um i can capture stuff within it and then when i step out of course i can i can capture it um filmically or or photographically but 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 the experience that you had was uh in a virtual set so you moved around you you didn't click you can uh, move around yeah. you didn't didn't click a button and say go there go there because uh no, no. Mo most of us will have experiences like that in a very limited space so you are in a let's say in your living room and you only have 3 feet each each direction so you cannot walk around you have to kind of artificially move and that of course will break the immersion to some extent but sure. uh, and and then yeah. if you have a a, a, a cable bound headset then you have a cable tugging at your back and sure. that will break the immersion too so the the te te technology is moving forward to getting closer to that reality but uh, they don't still they still don't do 
to smell wind and other sensory inputs. <laughs> no, no, not yet. <laughs> the have you have you have you flown your drone with a headset? No, I have not yet. Um, but I have flown in the headset, like flying an airplane. If you, yeah. it, it is very very disorienting <laughs> because because the sensory inputs don't don't agree at that point. <laughs> yeah, much. Be absolutely incredible to be able to, you know, control a, a a drone and have a 360 degree view by moving around. The drone moves around. Yeah. Um, I, you know, mm. it's as close as we're going to get to flying right now. I mean, that's that's the next thing is the 360 camera on top of a drone, and then you can look yeah. around. You, you are virtually there, but you 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 still have a disconnect because you're. Your uh, inner ear will not agree with what your eyes see, and some people yeah. um, some people get very sick when they do this, <laughs> unless you really have experience and and kind of gotten over that. Pe the 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 term that I hear for that is you have to get your VR legs. VR <laughs> <laughs> legs. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. Oh, goodness. <clears throat> So yeah, in terms um, of the future of photography, let, mm, yeah, what does know, that how, mean for the future of photography? That's our that's question. Right. It, it, in other words, if I am an artist and I am creating a work that is meant to be photographed, you know what I mean, and and not mm -hmm. necessarily experienced mm -hmm. in the world, but my intention is, you know, to wrap a tree. Uh, eliminate mm. any uh, distractions around it, photograph it, where the photograph mm. is the final intention and result, mm -hmm. um, that's in and of itself a very um, different way of approaching, say, land art. Um, mm. I think I, 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 a pick of the week a few weeks ago where I, I think I, I put a, there's a photographer that uses drones uh, with lights on it and goes into the desert and creates kind of circular shapes or vertical lines or lights uh, a rock in the middle of the night uh, with drones. Not that you see the drones, you just see the kind of uh, intense light. I think they he only uses like a Luma cube, something quite small and intense. Um, to create effectively land art, but c that can only be seen in a photograph because it's mm. you know the the process of creation is fleeting, right? Does mm. does Andy Goldsworthy um, create his art specifically for photography or just for the sake of creating the art? I would more say for the sake of creating the art, but uh, like a lot of the smaller things he would do just thinking there would be very solitary things so he'd be on his own out in the middle of maybe forest or up the woods or or does he does he at least take into account the the fact that well, it will be photographed and does he adapt his art to to that process i would think way? so i i've heard him talking about it and the like the frustration of putting something together and um you <laughs> and know seeing it. not have <laughs> <laughs> or not even having the chance to photograph it before, uh -huh. like, you know, the, 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 and maybe a river about to burst or something. And, you know, he just didn't get quite to take the shot and um, stuff like that. So you're t he's totally at the mercy of um, 
you know, nature really. Um, and is photography the only medium that counts here? I mean, of course, videography, but um, in in that context, I suppose it is. You know, or I mean, I would I would go so far and. <laughs> I, I could imagine is, an art larger, project. That he would, would do that would, larger projects, but I mean, I imagine he would have a team of people with those, <laughs> and then it's very much a documentary, you know, uh, process over a longer period of time. But those little sort of, they're very intimate. Then the photos, sort of afterwards, because they're personal, and I think his whole thing is to sort of not leave a mark. So he doesn't even bring any materials with him everything like he'll use thorns to attach things together and it it completely goes back to the earth when it's done you know the buddhists you know when they create these uh incredible sand paintings where you know they'll work for you know days and often weeks creating something so beautiful and elaborate and of course as soon as it's complete mm. They just wipe it away, and I, mm. so I, I think that the the kind of sublimating to process for someone like Andy Goldsworthy, I think, mm. uh, is probably um, less uh, frustrating than one might think, because I, I don't mm. think he would set out on the road to make land art with where he carries nothing and no one's around. Um, yeah. is for the final presentation at the Museum of Modern Art um, in Absolutely not, yeah. You know, yeah. there's, I, would, I would love to see other art forms, other media involved here. Um, just, just from the top of my mind, sound, for example, mm. which yeah, might sound. be very hard to capture, if at all, but then you'd, even, you'd at least know that the sound that you hear has that in it somehow. I don't know. <laughs> it's very far-fetched, but um. so are we saying that that um, photography, since we're all kind of focused on that, that that photography itself is the medium um, in which often solitary processes are brought to the forefront for people to experience in a certain way and inform in a certain way and inspire in a certain way. Um, and the uses of uh, photography to do that can be so um, uh, powerful in terms of leading someone to take a walk through the woods and leave something, um, uh, a, a mark, um, a carving on a on a rock, um, a combination of twigs. But the experience of doing that uh, is that something that will bring us closer to nature. And if it is, then the benefits of capture um, are, far exceed just the aesthetics of the image itself, but actually move people um, to experience of the world in a different way, which is really what the purpose of art is. Mm, photography as a, as a means to inspire other things. Yeah. Mm. I like that. Definitely. And also then like the proponents of the land art movement back in, I suppose, what the sixties, the fifties, um, they were all very much for bursting out of galleries and taking art to the outside to everybody. And, um, 
you know, uh, I had a point, I had an end to that point, but I've forgotten it. Um, yeah, so, you know, they wanted to blur the lines. They wanted to blur the lines, essentially, didn't they, between all the different, you know, painting, sculpture. I mean, what were they all anyway? They wanted to kind of mash it all together and I think, the, you know, the, photography. The data is. <laughs> Well, so, plays a massive part in that, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. All right. I think, we, I think you know if we if we're we're going to say how how this leads us into um, how we approach photography in the future, because often we will talk about the benefits of kind of new software, new hardware, um, and new ways of printing. Uh, and and experiencing those those images as being um, the kind of key here, I think we're talking about something else, which is how how the nature of image making, uh, even if we're taking images of our own constructs within nature, um, to to kind of bring awareness uh, to the world, often that kind of process may lead someone to become a photographer for very different reasons than each of us. Um, and I, th- I think that, that there is real benefits in exploring um, how we relate and fingerprint the world um, and use uh, technology or even old technology, wet plate, um, dry plate, um, to bring us closer to the um, experience of our lives, and I see, I think we do this unconsciously in taking selfies, constantly recording our families and what's going on around that. Is it because we we need a aesthetic um, capture of ourselves in terms of the way painters did in the you know sixteen hundreds? Or are we just really expressing our connection with our families, our social life, our environment, um, our history, um, and and using photography as a way of saying we were here? Check yeah, me. I like that notion. <laughs> I really like that notion that you know that we do want to capture ourselves as maybe the painters in the in the sixteenth century did. I like, I like that idea. I like how you give us one yeah. mic drop after the other here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, let's, let's close the topic for now. I think there's plenty of food for thought in there for everyone. Yeah. Um, mm. Let's move on to, the, to our photography highlights. No, the, the picks. The picks. Picks. Um, <laughs> I've picked a photographer. His name is David Burnett. And he... I've heard his name before, but uh, he has just kind of been uh, pushed in front of me again because he is the photographer who is uh, is one of the many photographers at the current impeachment hearings in in Washington mm-hmm. D.C. and uh, he's the guy who is shooting with an Aero Liberator, a big wooden large format camera there, and that I found interesting. So I I went a bit down a rabbit hole, uh, did some research on him. And uh, it's worth looking on his website. He does a whole bunch of interesting stuff. Um, he, he, and he, I mean, he shoots digital and everything, but he always has a whole go with him 
to uh to take photos with that special um with that special appeal he uh has a, a whole bunch of interesting series on his website including one of the Apollo 11 astronauts today so uh interesting interesting stuff all over and uh yeah i like i like the fact that he goes to an event like like the impeachment hearings and uh that he's doing his um his his large format thing because no one else does it there yeah it handheld large format can't beat it (laughs) (laughs) oh there's construction in your background no you know what that is i that that is my (laughs) jura coffee maker shutting itself off (laughs) oh okay (laughs) that sounded like a drill or something it did it did and i was like what the what's going on here Uh, yeah there is something um have any of you ever done handheld four by five? Oh yes, photography. Oh, yes. Yeah, it, it it's a it's quite a fantastic experience, and and it really um, compels you to be <laughs> extraordinarily focused. Oh, it goes yes, back to yes. our last show, the slow photography. Many mistakes you can do. Mm, no, what yeah. you know, you know what I like about it is that he's kind of uh, going against the status quo. Because I I remember back in oh, that must be six seven years ago I was uh, uh, holding or co-holding a photo workshop in Hokkaido in Japan. And there were all these bird photographers with very expensive cameras and very expensive tripods. And they were crowded on a bridge that looks down a river with cranes in the mist in the river and the hot hot springs and stuff. It's a really amazing photo you can take there. And uh, they all had these $10,000 lenses on and I set up my tripod <laughs> and I set up my Chamonix 4x5 uh, camera and... I've never received that many um, irate looks from people around me in there, and I loved doing it. So that's why I'm a great fan of uh, of what David Burnett does there. Yeah, I, I have a um, an old Polaroid that I had converted, maybe uh-huh. a nine o something. 20, yeah, yeah, uh, to four by five, and occasionally I'll I'll take it out and you know on the street and just do. A single shot, but in four by five, mm-hmm. black and white, street photo, and then it's fabulous. It's really great. I right. rarely have the patience for it, though. So, David Burnett, that was my pick of the week. Uh, Jeremiah, yours? Um, mine is in keeping with this theme. Is uh, a photographer also called Samir Belhamra. Um, his uh, I, I've posted his website um on our show notes but he he photographs again he photographs nature um in unexpected ways um he does a lot of post-processing he does some mavic stuff from the air um and he also does some of the drone work that i was talking about with lights but here's somebody who effectively uses nature uh to create um unique personal and manipulated um, landscapes that rather than kind of distance us from the work, kind of pull us closer um, to what's going on around us. Um, encourage everyone to look at his stuff. Very pretty. Amazing stuff. I'm just looking at it right now. Beautiful. <laughs> Very 
cool Beautiful. stuff. Shapes, yeah, ge geometry, yeah. symmetry, Fuji, amazing. The yeah. lavender, beautiful They're stuff. They're gorgeous. Yeah. Ah, okay, great. Ah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, have another, there's another hour gone from my evening. Um, Imar, what's your pick? Uh, okay, my pick is this. I was kind of having a look into the kind of whole VR environment, Earth, Earth thing, and I came ah. across... This exhibition that's on in New York that would be amazing to see, and it's called Arcadia Earth, and it, it's mm, like all yeah. this immersive stuff, beautiful colors, and it's all sort of climate aware. It looks absolutely yeah, it's pretty amazing. fantastic. It's gorgeous. Yeah. So if you're in New York, Jeremiah, you're the closest one. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't be think I'll be. Oh wow. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. The colors I, just look beautiful. And I think more and more people or organizations are doing more immersive, um, you know, site-specific uh, digital work that yeah. is increasingly more compelling. I mean, there's some really bad examples of it, but yeah. there are, you know, at some point we should probably do a show on digital art as immersive experiences. I think it would be very good because it is very it? much tied into the future of photography. Mm, and absolutely. Into the future of photography and filmmaking and everything. Yeah, yeah, it is. Augmenting reality is a is more and more a thing. All right. Mm -hmm. So that concludes this episode of the Future of Photography. Thanks, Imar. Thanks, Jeremiah. And Thanks, we Chris. will be back in a week. You can, of course, get in touch let us know what you think let us know if you have any topics that you want to suggest for the show you can find us on thefuturephotography.com or on twitter tfopnow it's our twitter handle and looking forward to hearing from you Till next week take care bye 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 you've been listening to the future of photography a production by Adrian Stock and Chris Marquardt. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your other podcasts. Find the show notes and more information at thefutureofphotography.com. <laughs>